that there are there's more smiles now. It's good to see you all this morning, even if it's at a at a accepted social distancing. It's good to be with you again and be able to be with you all of this month and then all of next month as well. So it'll be be good to be with you all. Hopefully things will be changing as times go by and we'll be able to be as we're accustomed to in, in the near future. Turn with me, if you will, please, back to First Peter. First Peter, chapter one, please. First Peter, chapter one, and we're going to begin reading this morning at verse thirteen, in order to gain the context of what we were thinking about last week. I'm not going to spend any time doing review. Hopefully, you've heard the message from last week. If you didn't hear it here live, you heard it on. Facebook, hopefully, and you have the context behind you now of what we're um, speaking on this month. And so we'll just read this portion now, and then we will um, just continue on without any further um, review. Verse 13 of chapter 1 of First Peter. Therefore, gird up the lens of your mind. Be sober. And rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourself throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. We through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth, through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever, because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word. I don't understand where they're thinking coming from. I don't understand. 
said in Leviticus 19, which Peter picked up and where we saw from last week. Man gets dirty 
Man sins. Man falls away from God. And God established a system in the Old Testament by which they could be clean again and draw close to Him and be in fellowship with the God who was in their midst. Man gets dirty and man needs to be cleaned. Praise God this morning for our Lord Jesus Christ. For in Him we have all received the cleansing. His blood has cleansed us from all our sin. And as a brother prayed earlier, past, present, and future, all of them have been taken through the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for us. He bore our sins in His own body on the tree, and we have been forgiven. We no longer need to offer another sacrifice the next time we get dirty. And boy, we can get dirty. We can get out and roll around in the mud still as those who have made a profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Yet, we have been cleansed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We all fall short of the glory of God. Be holy, for I am holy, said the Lord. And we didn't mention that that was a reciprocal thing. Because our Father in heaven is holy, we ought to be characterized by the same things. The same things of holiness. A young missionary, Daniel Edwards, back in 1840, was heading out to the mission field. He was going to Germany. And he was going to go into Germany and and reach the Jews who were living in Germany at the time. Bringing the gospel of Christ in 1840 to the Jews who were dwelling in Palestine. Not in Palestine, in Germany at the time. I thought to myself when I was reading this story, this account of him, how many things changed in the life of some of those Jews back in the, in the 19th century before the dawn of the 20th century who came to make, were converted and came to know Christ as their Savior. How different things were for them going forward. But at any rate, while he was, when he was commended to the work and as he was going out to the work, uh, Robert Murray McChain... Now, some of you will recognize that name, right? Robert Murray McShane. If you do any reading, if you do any studying, if you do any commentary work, you'll see him quoted many, many times in different works. He wrote over 12 hymns that we don't sing too much anymore, but they're in several hymn books. Robert Murray McShane. McShane, I think is the way it's pronounced. He wrote a letter to Mr. Dr. Edwards as he was getting ready to go out onto the field. And in his letter, he said this. And by the way, all that he did, all that Robert Murray McChain did in his life, all that he accomplished, he's quoted over and over again by believers. He died at age 29. He accomplished all of that by the age of 29. He went out to Palestine when he was in his late mid-20s in order to See the state of the Jews who were living in Palestine at the time, in 1838. Well, he wrote this letter to Daniel Edwards as Daniel was getting ready to go out on the field. He said this, I trust you will have a pleasant and profitable time in Germany. I know you will apply hard to German, but do not forget the culture of the inner man, I mean of the heart. How diligently the cavalry officer keeps his saber clean and sharp. Every stain he rubs off with the greatest care. 
Remember, you are God's sword, His instrument. A, I trust a chosen vessel unto Him to bear His name in great measure according to the purity and perfection of the instrument, will be the success. It is not great talents God blesses, so much as great likeness to Jesus. A holy minister is an awful weapon in the hand of God. And that is a principle of Scripture that flows all the way through Scripture. One who is committed to God, one who is separated unto God, one who is living a life that is separated, God will use for His glory. He will not need great talents. He will not need great abilities. But He will be one who trusts in the abilities and the power of God to take a weak vessel and use it for His glory. And use it for His honor. Use it for His pleasure. Be holy, He said. In Leviticus 19, and Peter repeats it here. Be holy, for I am holy. Do we have a tendency to become complacent with sin? Do we have a tendency to become apathetic at sin? Do we compromise with sin on a regular basis? Do we compromise with sin in, in such a way that it becomes so embedded in our lives that we scarcely recognize it anymore as being that which is sinful and against the Lord and against His purposes? Dr. George Sweeney, in his book uh, on special sermons for special days, wrote this, and this will be the last quote I'll give today. He said, several years ago, our family visited Niagara Falls. It was spring, and ice was rushing down the river. As I viewed the large blocks of ice floating toward the falls, I could see that there, was, there were carcasses of dead fish embedded in the ice. And seagulls, by the score, were riding down the river, feeding on the fish. And as they came to the brink of the falls, their wings would go out, and they'd escape the fall. I watched as one goal, which seemed to delay, and wondered when it would leave. It was so engrossed in the carcass of the fish that when it came to the brink of the falls, out went its powerful wings. And the wings flapped and flapped and even lifted the ice a little out of the water. And I thought he would escape. But he had delayed too long. His claws had become frozen in the ice. And the weight of the ice was too great, and the goal plunged into the abyss. You see the picture there? You see the picture? We can sometimes get our claws so deep in the world, and year after year after year goes by, and we have not fought, we have not flapped our wings to escape it, we have allowed it to become a part of who we are, we have adapted to the culture in which we live. And then when we come to the, br the brink, we try to flap our arms and we find out that we have a habit that we can't break. A habit we can't escape. Young people, don't let a habit become such a part of your life that when you get to old age, you can't escape it. 
Deal with it in your youth. Or you'll deal with it when you're older. And the struggle will be intense. Be holy. For I am holy. Let's think of that word holiness for a minute. We understand from our own studies of the Word of God, don't we, that what holiness is. We understand that it means to be separated. We understand that it means to have a lifestyle that is separated unto God. But in some senses, that word is exclusive of God. John in Revelation would write, He alone is holy. There is none like Him. He alone is the Holy One. And in the absolute sense, there is no one who is holy like God is holy. He is totally and completely and without measure separated from sin. Separated from this world of sin. He is above it and pure and holy absolutely. And I think everyone here would agree. Then He calls on us to be holy. In the, in the old time Jewish culture, and I suppose this went on for generations, when a father was a shepherd, the son became a shepherd. When the father was a carpenter, he became a carpenter. He did what his father did. When he was a fisherman, his father was a fisherman, he learned the trade of fishing, he became a fisherman. And 99% of the sons born to Jewish families and to other families as well, not exclusively Jewish families, took up what their fathers did. God is absolutely holy, but He calls on us, His children, the begotten ones that we looked at last week, to live like Him, to be like Him, to seek to live lives that are separated unto Him. We will never be perfect. We will never perform perfectly in this life. Nor does He ever call us to absolute perfection because He knows, well, that's the call. <laughs> but He recognizes who we are. He recognizes our frailty. He remembers that we are dust. And so He calls us to be living lives that are like unto His. Living lives that seek to honor Him. Living lives that seek to do what is right, even though our old nature pulls us to do what is wrong. Be holy, He says, for I am holy. And now that I have given you this hope, now that I have given you this life, now that I have saved you from your sin, now that I have given you a hope, then one day you will be with me forever. One day my Son will return. One day you will see the glorious revelation of the Son of God as He comes back into this world. One day you will experience all of these things because that is true. Gird up the loins of your mind. Do what is right. Live soberly. Because this life is a flash of time for you. 
Oh, I've used the illustration of C.S. Lewis so many times, and I know I've used it in this chapel many, many times, and I'll use it one more time just quickly. You remember C.S. Lewis had the idea of, of, of a sheet that was spread out in all directions. As far as you could see, a clean white sheet spread out as far up as you could see, as far low as you could see, as far east, as far west, everywhere. You'd see this great white sheet, pure. Take a pen, put one dot in the middle. That's life. This is eternity. And he asks us now, in this little life that we have, in this short period of time, live for me because you will not ever have another opportunity to show your faith to demonstrate your faith than this short period of time prepare your minds gird up your minds be sober rest your hope fully on the grace be holy for I am holy be separated from this world set yourself apart there are many things in this world that we can enjoy. There are many things in this world that we can do that don't violate the things of God. But where they shade and where they become violations of what you know to be true, we must separate ourselves. We must set ourselves apart from it. Be holy, for I am holy. No sense rebelling against God because you will not win. You will not win. He is holy and He is perfect. It is what He is as God and He has called us to be like His Son. To be like His Son. Well, there's so much more we could talk about there. right? So many more truths there that we could go to. Speaking about the holiness of God and the character of God and how we are to demonstrate that character. The New Testament and the Old Testament are full of it. But we must move on to the second quote. We find the second quote in verse 24, where he says, All flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. That quote comes out of Isaiah chapter 40. And if you remember from last week, we said that we are quite confident that these writers of the Old Testament, I mean, writers of the New Testament, understood the Old Testament. These writers of the New Testament, especially these Jewish writers of the, of the New Testament, understood the Old Testament. They were reared in it. They were raised in it. They were taught it in the synagogues. They were taught it in the temple sites. They were taught it by their rabbis. They, were, they learned it growing up. They recited these things over and over again. They knew the context. Peter knew the context when he drew this quote out from Isaiah chapter 40. Now, if you're with me in Isaiah chapter 40, I'm going to read. It begins this way. In the beginning, and the whole context of it is so important because Peter doesn't just yank a, verse, a couple of verses out of context in order to support his view. He doesn't just yank them out, as I said last week, willy-nilly, like some preachers might do today. He understood the context of what he was referring to. What he was using as his support text. He knew the context. And it begins like this. You remember chapter 39, 
All up to chapter 39, this whole book of Isaiah has been speaking about judgment to come. Judgment that was coming. Judgment that was going to be poured out on the people of Israel. Judgment that was going to be poured out on the people of Judah. If they did not repent, if they did not turn back to God, if they did not give their hearts back to the Lord, if you give your hearts back to me, I will relent. But there was no relenting. There was no turning back to God in their hearts. And the first 39 chapters speak of that. When we get to chapter 40, interestingly enough, we have moved ahead like 150 years. Because 39 was written about 70 years before that. And now he's writing to a group that went off into Babylonian captivity who would be reading this 70 years later. So he's like 140, 150 years later. Now these words were being prophesied by Isaiah 150 years after the chapter 39. Isaiah obviously wasn't 150 years later. He was, he was, by inspiration of God, was giving these prophecies of what was to be. And he says this, Comfort. Speak. Yes, comfort my people, says the Lord. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted. Every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The voice said, cry out. And he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is as grass. And the loveliness is like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, because the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. And then you'll remember as the context goes on now, he's going to make this promise. He, he makes this promise to the people of Israel. He, he speaks of comfort that is to come. He makes the promise, which we'll see, of a coming, coming uh, presence of God, that God is actually going to literally be in their presence, coming into the city, delivering them in a day that was to come, bringing them back to the land, bringing them back to Jerusalem. And he speaks of that. And then he goes on after this, he begins to describe this God who is going to keep this promise. This is the God who is going to keep this promise to you. He is not reneging on any promise He made to you. Even though you have been off in bondage, as I promised, the Lord said, as I promised you would, if you would not repent and you would not come back to me, I told you in Leviticus what the problems would be, what the curses would be if you turned away from me. And I have been true to my word, I've been true to my promise, you have been sent into Babylonian captivity, and I'm going to bring you back because I do not renege on my promises. And I will bring you back. And one day He will bring them back again. He's doing that now, isn't He? And the people of Israel are flocking back to their land. And one day, that vision of Ezekiel will come true when He will breathe into them life. And they will be a great and mighty nation again. Their King is coming. Their King is coming. And He will reign over them in perfect 
and pure righteousness. But he goes on, he describes this God. He's the one who measures out the hollow of the waters in his hand. He measured the heavens with a span of his hand. He measures the heavens. All these hyperbole, all these descriptions of who God is and the greatness of God. He directs the Spirit. He brings it to whom He wants teaching to be. All the nations are like a drop in a bucket. A drop of a bucket. The islands are like a small thing. Lebanon with all its cedar trees is not sufficient to burn in offerings unto this great God. Who will you liken God? Who is like Him? There is no one like unto Him. There's no one like this God. This is the God who made the promise to you. This is the God who said, speak comfort to you. Because I am going to fulfill my promise to you. Comfort. Yes, comfort. You only speak comfort to someone who has a need. You only speak comfort to someone who has gone through sorrow. You only speak comfort to someone who's going through a hardship. Someone who has suffered. Have you all suffered? Right now I look at you. I look out here and see all these smiling faces under all these umbrellas and the nice sun. And you're all, you're all very comfortable. Well, maybe not very comfortable because it's hot. And the drone of the speaker's voice is going on and on. But we all have suffered. We all have cried. We all have had our hearts broken at one time or another. The loss of a loved one. The loss of a mom and dad. The loss of, of financial stability. All these things and the sorrows that enter. Our sorrow over our own sin and our own failure sometimes. We've all had broken hearts. We've all have cried. And God speaks now to the people of Israel who have been in bondage for all of these 70 years. Who have been in bondage. And He says, listen, comfort. You need comfort now. And the word comfort really means, and when it says it in the, in the, the second stanza of that, where it says, speak comfort to Jerusalem. The word comfort literally means take a breath. Breathe again. Breathe again. We have a colloquialism that says, just breathe. Just breathe. And we could probably carry that colloquialism over to this. Breathe again. You have been in captivity all of these years. You have been separated. Many of you have never been to Jerusalem. You've never been to the city. Breathe again. I'm bringing you back. Take a breath again. Oftentimes we need to just... Step back in our sorrow. Step back in our hardship. Step back in the suffering and just breathe again. Breathe the promises of God. Breathe the promises of God. He has made promises to you of an inheritance. We read about it last week. We have promises that have come from God. We have an inheritance just like the people of Israel had an inheritance that God was not going to renege on. That God was going to fulfill every promise to them. We have an inheritance that is ours. It will be revealed to us in the last day. We will enter into it. We will possess that which God has promised to us. And in this time of hardship, in this time of suffering, just breathe. Breathe in the promises of God. And remember who is still on the throne. Remember who is still 
King of kings and Lord of lords. And remember whose you are and who you belong to. He's paid them back double for all their sin. Double for all their sin He has paid them back in the captivity that they faced. And then He says the voice of one crying in the wilderness. It's interesting how that contrast comes right away, doesn't it? Speak comfort to their hearts. Oh, speak comfort to their hearts. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And we know that cry. We remember that cry. We find it in all the Gospels. We find it in the Synoptic Gospels. We find it in the Gospel of John. We find John the Baptist coming in the power of the Lord, preparing the way of the coming of God into the world. And the Lord Jesus Christ came into this world And we see in this prophecy a double fulfillment. We see the fulfillment coming in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ in His first advent. And we see the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ that will one day yet be in His second advent. He will come again. But because He came the first time, I placed my faith and trust in Him. I have placed my faith and trust in His finished work. And my brothers and sisters, I am one of the saved ones. Are you this morning? One of the saved ones. One of the ones whom He has spoken comfort to my heart. Despite what I face in this life. Despite how hard things are. One day I know I shall see my Lord. And so will you if you have placed your faith and trust in Him. Our time is gone, and you're sweating, so I'll close in prayer. Father, we give you thanks for all that you have done for us in your Son. We pray that you bless your word to our hearts this morning, for we ask it in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen. We'll pick up from this point next week, and we'll actually see the quote.